So we we settled on um and watch talk. <laughs> no, it's it's called watch and talk. Okay, yeah. watch and talk. Watch Got and it. talk. Yeah. What I wanted to start with is um get you guys' like history with the show. Like, why are we even doing this yeah, in the like, first place? Ha- when did you first watch it? What is your experience with it? That kind of thing. I think I first watched The West Wing probably about four years ago for the first time. And I like dedicated my life to watching the whole thing after the first episode. Um, and since I've watched it probably three or four times all the way through. It's sort of my go-to um, like falling asleep show because it just makes me feel generally good about the world even though that's probably a false feeling um but yeah i think long time west wing watcher here i watched i watched it today (laughs) (laughs) all right okay so brayden's the new uh person to the west wing i personally have uh i watched it probably the first time in college in maybe 2003 and I still remember, I think, the specific episode, uh, we'll get to that later, was the Bartlett for America episode in season three, I believe. It's probably still my favorite episode. So I've watched it since then. I watched the whole season. I kind of caught up with the show as it was finishing. And I think I've watched it about six times since then, I want to say. <laughs> I watched the first episode <laughs> today. Right. And uh, so we have Jason here, too. Yeah, I think my experience was pretty similar to yours. Um but I think I probably came to it a bit later than 2003. It was probably more like 2006. I think when I started wanting to go to law school, I was like, oh, I should pay attention to like things that have something to do with law and politics. And then it was like a good fit for that because it's really enthusiastic about those things. Also, one time in high school, they made, the teacher made us watch a, an episode. Do you remember he, what episode? He was a bad teacher. Wait, hold on. So why did you have to watch it? I feel like that would be a sign of like a pretty decent teacher to watch The West Wing. No, teach, teachers should teach things. But like, show you TV shows. That's well, what teach, teaching. I, okay. I think it could be like a good example of something. But uh, as you will see, Braden, this is no ordinary TV show. Yeah, yeah it was Jason's law school. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching reruns of The West yeah, Wing. Jason actually didn't go to law school at all. Yes, yeah, just... so I got an honorary degree after certifying that I've seen every episode twice. Mm-hmm. So and you can too. I'm actually a lawyer too, by that standard. So maybe we all are. Let's go through the the scenes in order. So the first scene is uh Sam, and he's in a hotel bar. He's uh, having a drink with a reporter guy named Billy. And before the first line of dialogue even comes out, there's a bartender that comes in the background, and he says, two martinis up and another doer's rocks." And they show a tray, and it has two glasses of champagne and doers. So this bartender does not know how to make a martini. Some continuity issues right from the start. Right, so yeah. it's starting off a bad precedent. Um, but Sam is re- defending a coworker apparently named Josh that we haven't met yet um, to this reporter guy. It's a pretty like kind of awkward conversation, and he does he throws this insult out at the guy. Do you guys remember that one? He says, "Oh, you could call one eight hundred bite me, Sam," and he's yeah. really really happy about it. It doesn't have the correct number of digits. I I noticed. Oh yeah, but the I think the one of the great things which you learned about Sam is that he is a speechwriter for the president, and he should have better jokes and comebacks than that. I Do, think does he uh, does he mention the speechwriting in that scene? I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, and he's talking so. to the kids. I think never. Right. Oh, you're right. Everybody has their what do I do int- like exposition yes. scene. Yeah, which I thought was like so well integrated into the initial plot point of josh and what's going on with him yeah the scene with donna and him later that has like 
four exposition points in two sentences. Um, so still on the Sam scene, uh, he does say one line that I still don't know what the hell it means, where he says, Because Alger Hiss just walked in with my secret pumpkin. What? Alger Hiss just walked in with my secret pumpkin? And I looked up Alger Hiss, and I found a little bit about it. Uh, I believe this is some sort of old school journalist. He was a spy. Or that. <laughs> one, sometimes they're the same. That hid... Rolls of 35 millimeter film in a pumpkin. Okay. So and I don't know what the secret pumpkin is. I think that's a Charlie Brown reference, maybe. But so, what is this uh, like a metaphor for? For it's when, when he Billy sees... says, What are you looking at over my shoulder? Mm. It's a smart said, person joke. I got it. I got this joke. Okay. <laughs> Sam is looking at a lady over Billy's shoulder and they're making eyes and it kind of uh, goes from there. You don't really see what happens. So but uh, the, he's got a secret pumpkin, apparently. Okay. The la- is maybe the lady is the film inside the pumpkin in this scenario? I think so. Okay. Or she's the pumpkin? I, that's very unclear to me. Maybe she's the pumpkin and the film. That's just how great she is of a lady. Leo comes next. Yeah. And he's talking about a crossword puzzle that he's upset about. 17 across is wrong. It's just wrong. You believe that, Ruth? You should call them. I will call them. This bothered me. Um, I want to I want to talk about this. He's complaining. He's calling the New York Times. Complained about the crossword puzzle. Claims that they have misspelled the name of late Libyan tyrant Gaddafi, uh, Muammar Gaddafi. The problem is, Muammar Gaddafi's name is in another language. It's a transliteration. There's no accepted spelling. He's just wrong. <laughs> There's multiple spellings. I know I work at the New York Post. There's we have a weird spelling just because we we would always pun on Daffy, Daffy mm-hmm. Duck, and we spell it with a K. There's there's just no accepted spelling. Well, I also like that this establishes that Momar Gaddafi exists in this universe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is a big point in this show of like what this is America, but it's not because the the election cycle ends up being different that we find out later. And there's a lot of things. So I want to, I'm very curious about like, when does this like universe fork? So, uh, Muammar Gaddafi took power in 1969. So it's something after 1969. I just want to set that as a marker down. it down now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be clear. This show is set in a very limited, uh, time period. It's clearly sometime in the early to mid nineties. They're using beepers. (laughs) That's also a beepers great were beepers were around for like five years. That's and, it, max. But, but in the next scene, in the next scene, we see that they are they don't just have beepers. Yes, they have primitive, non-smart cell phones. <laughs> well, that's a little later, but we'll we'll, we'll get to well, the cell phones. So this show, the first this first season is in 1999, right? Of this show, the show came out in 1999. Yeah, I believe this. It's set in 1999. I think a as very well. important question is: Did we use beepers in 1999? I don't remember. Maybe in the White House. I do want to circle back <laughs> for a second to the uh, the Leo complaint because there was is there was one very accurate representation in that scene, and that is the fact that um, people complain about the crossword. I will call. I know this. I used to be the crossword editor at a newspaper. Edited, did you write the crossword puzzles? Uh, no, it was my responsibility to input them and to uh, to, to I would edit the the clues and. Um, no one. They, we never. We never got more calls than when I messed it up. Mm. That was it. It was just if I if I mess up the crossword, my my just my day was wrecked. Like a typo. 
or if I just uh, use the wrong clues at the wrong date, they didn't fit into the, the page, people would be just incensed. Mm. Next scene, we meet CJ, <laughs> and she immediately establishes herself as the prototypical Sorkin woman. She overshares, and then she falls on her face immediately. Yeah. She works too much, too. It's like every single like trope Aaron Sorkin has about women, she exhibits in this like four-second-long scene. And then another really good point that both Brayden and I had in our notes is that this is the first walk and talk that you see on the West Wing. I'm pretty sure, right? Is it a walk and talk? It's a run and talk because she's on a treadmill. Is the walk and talk because the characters are walking and talking or because the camera's moving? I think technically this is the first time two characters are moving while talking to one another. Because it's pretty clever. that the, the treadmill scene is the first walk and talk. Right? Yeah, definitely. It's a very aggressive one, too, because she's running. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say oh, wow. we could establish this as the first. Tr- it's true that the camera stays put. But I think that, that a walk and talk can be when the camera is staying put, because sometimes you see the camera is on one side of the West Wing and the characters are walking towards it. So or coming around the corner or something. So I think it's really about the characters walking and talking. I'd like to set this as a precedent as well, the first. I, I think there's another scene that I flagged as the first walk and talk coming up later. Oh, but uh, we'll we'll get a there. debate and and our first uh pratfall because yeah. she slips on the after getting a, another page. Mm-hmm. They're all getting pages all all night. Uh, then we meet Josh. He's asleep at his desk, which I think is going to be important later. But uh, so he's obviously been working hard. He gets a beep. Right, then he calls, or he goes, yeah, does he, he just get a phone call? He he gets a beeper because he calls just two numbers on his phone, and at first I'm like, is that an in, inter White House extension? But it's probably just his uh, speed dial for the beeper number, the answering service. Right, but we don't really get much uh, intro to Josh. He just kind of uh, says, "Josh Lyman, I'm at the White House." Uh, then we meet Toby. He's on an airplane. He's doing his work. Um, he's I guess taking a red eye because it's pretty early because Josh is asleep at his desk when Toby is riding back on a plane and he is already a, a piece of work. He's giving Stewardess's guff. He's uh he's making jokes about Radio Shack. Whoa, he's giving mm-hmm. Stewardess's guff. He just wants to use his mobile electronic device on a plane. I don't see what the problem with that is. And the FAA has now said that that's totally okay and it doesn't bother the During navigational systems. Even during takeoff and landing. So once again, this sets us in a very specific period of time before the FAA finally came to its senses. When, when I saw this, I thought that this was the single simultaneously quickest way of getting the audience to like a character while also establishing that he's kind of a curmudgeon and can be rude to people. Yeah, okay, we're just going to listen to this. Phone until we land, sir. We're flying on a Lockheed Eagle Series L-1011. Came off the line 20 months ago carries a SIM-5 transponder tracking system. Are you telling me I can still flummox this thing with something I bought at Radio Shack? You can call when we land, sir. Toby, opinions differ so far on Toby. I think he doesn't come across well in this scene. Strong character. Really? What don't you like about him? There's a thing I always hear that you can judge somebody by how they treat, like, the waitress. Mm. And that he's... She doesn't make the rules about when the plane's can have laptops on them and yeah. he's like she's just doing her throwing job. like techno jargon at her he's, yeah he's an important man and he's he's he, you know he works for the president and who is this lady yeah she doesn't make the rules but oh we don't know that he works for the president she yeah, gonna get in trouble? For POTUS. right no one that's another good signifier nobody knows what potus is at this time did west wing introduce that 
concept to people of Wait, that. So did, did they create that acronym? So uh, it's my understanding that this is something that came out of the Clinton administration. And I don't know whether it was widely known back in the late 90s, but I was thinking about the fact that probably uh, they have to assume that like around half the audience at this point knows what POTUS is because they're watching a show that's been advertised to them as the West Wing. Right, but it's still like a weird mystery for about three minutes. So yeah, well, I, we're also, we're, we're three minutes into this episode. So, so I, I think, I, my theory is that the POTUS thing is just a way for them to be able to like humble brag that they work for the White House. I just found out New York Times article from 1997 says that the first use of POTUS that someone heard was from a presidential aide in 1969. This has been around for a very long time. And I think FLOTUS came a little later than that. Yeah, we're going to put the FLOTUS stuff in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> oh, also, isn't Radio Shack closed? Is there still a Radio Shack? No, I think Radio Shack's dead. Okay, next scene. Uh, Sam hooked up with Lady at the bar. The, on um, the first night that he met her, apparently. Yeah. Sam's a quick-to-bed guy. Could we say he got that film out of that pumpkin or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, got, he developed her film. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly, Lori, burning one. Yeah. Yeah, she's smoking a weed. Yep. She's, yeah, and she's like high as a kite. She's smoking a drug hard. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. says she's high, but she seems pretty cool. I don't know. She's like obsessed that two beepers look kind of like each other. These things look exactly alike. They're all the same. They're black. Yeah, they beep. yeah they're squares. They have a little screen on them. It's just a plot device. But, but l- yeah, you, foreshadowing. Lest you, lest you think that the show is too edgy for having someone smoking pot in like the fourth scene, I think. She makes it clear that she's not a drug person. It's not like I'm a drug person. I just love pot. Oh, yeah. She just loves pot. She just likes pot. And then <laughs> we have our first walk and talk, which is Leo coming into the office. No, we, we already did the walk and talk. We already talked about the first this one. This one, he goes through the whole building. You see the, all the set. You see the lobby. Leo says hi to a thousand characters that never come back. Hey, Emma. Morning. Wilson. Hello. Joe. Jeffrey. Whatever. <laughs> And then uh, he comes up to Donna, who is uh, this Josh character's assistant, and she's pretty sassy. We meet Josh. He's, uh, he's really obsessed with this Cuban refugee crisis thing going on. There's apparently a lot of Cubans coming in on um, fruit, what, what do you call them? fruit baskets, charitably described as fruit baskets. Mm-hmm. And Josh is in trouble for saying something to a Christian conservative. Um, and that seems to be what he was getting uh, defended about earlier. So is Josh going to get fired over this remark he made on TV? So th- this is pretty much the A plot of this episode, right? The, the, the Josh uh, yeah, issue? Yeah, definitely. Right. They allude to it for a while until we finally find out what he says. And eventually, he, you know, he plays the clip of him on the talk show, and he says something to a religious right figure um, that seems fairly tame. Fairly tame and also not a very good put down. I mean, it's a, it's a, like a vague allusion to like problem with tax exempt status among religious organizations. It, a, a huge deal is made of this really, what seems in, in today's political climate, a very tame comment compared to some of our candidates nowadays. Everybody is assured that he's going to get fired over this. And it seems like a real, yeah, it's like one comment offhand on like some stupid show. 
But yeah. I, I do wonder, like, I agree when I first watched it, even back in the early aughts, I thought it was kind of, an, uh, it didn't really match up with how much heat he was getting. But I do try to remember in the 90s, like, when the Clinton administration was, like, very cozy with sort of moderate religious leaders. And I guess I, I, I just, I don't think I was paying enough attention at that time. But I feel like in the past, liberals would sort of form coalitions with more moderate uh, re- religious leaders, especially Christian leaders. Right. As Leo said, we need these people. Right. It's less about offending like religious constituents and more about like severing uh, like power blocks that they've tried to form. So Leo keeps walking. He runs into Miss Landingham and we get a quick brief glimpse at the Oval Office, which you're pretty sure that's the president now at this point. Actually, no, when did the Lori, Sam, like, triumphantly declares that it's the president yeah when that's right Lori's before, like what is potus yeah he, tell your friend potus he has a funny name yeah it's not his name it's his title it's such a great moment when he just like is about to leave turns to the camera and is like the president of the united yeah, states yeah he does a superman pose yeah kind of thing. yes <laughs> I sure. for the president so so what i got from that was he got laid and didn't have to use that Oh, well, that I mean, makes him like low. an extra badass. Yeah, I'm just Have saying. Have you like, seen those beautiful blue I, eyes? I don't think I thought about the fact that it it establishes that his character is even more like of a badass than you originally perceived from the fact that he got laid the first night. Yeah, well, he's got great looks on his side. So. And they were up all night because mm-hmm. he was taking a shower at like five thirty in the morning. The next scene is a staff meeting between Leo, uh, CJ, Toby. Josh and Sam, um, and my 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 favorite line in the whole whole episode is uh in this part. CJ is asking about the accident that the president was in. Rode his bicycle into a tree. He hopes never to do it again. Seriously, they're laughing pretty hard. He rode his bicycle into a tree. CJ, what do you want me? The president, while riding a bicycle on his vacation in Jackson Hole, came to a sudden arboreal stop. What do you want from me? A little love. Sudden arboreal stop. That's pretty good. Yeah. Solid I- line. Yeah. And it makes you very, I think, like, it's one of the most endearing things about the president, and you haven't even met the president yet, that he's, like, is kind of a nerd, which they refer to him as a nerd and a geek. Yeah, just don't use that language in the Oval Office. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Miss Landingham scolds right. Leo for that. So I, I got the whole opposite impression, though, because I, I didn't take it as, like, the president is using that clever turn of phrase. So far, it seems like his staff is coddling him about this issue, and I, I got the the feeling throughout the whole first episode that they're setting you up to think the president is like kind of a bumbling idiot. Hmm. He's like, he's just a like a figurehead. What information you get is this silliness and then the information we're about to get that he's very religious. And, well, then he's relying on the religious right as well, political support too. We need these people, that kind of thing. Well, hmm. Leo is clearly of that mind. He's cynically using this for political gain, but in talking about the president, he's he's characterizing him as being very religious, and as we'll we'll see, um, that he personally believes that women should not get abortions, but that he doesn't believe that should be legislated. So that's the pretty standard '90s Democratic message, right? Yeah, but I think he's kind. Of, they're giving you the impression that he's kind of a feckless, like middle of the road Democrat at first. So uh, I I did some research. There are uh, there's a little bit of a history with presidential bike accidents. <laughs> uh, in 2004, George Bush got in a bike accident and he uh, hurt himself. He also choked on a pretzel too. The same article <laughs> mentions. It's pretty great. 
2015, John Kerry, presidential candidate in 2004, got into a very serious bike accident in France. And that's really all. I think, I don't think, Is when do like, bikes get invented? Like, 75? <laughs> Maybe there's just more. They haven't been like, recorded. They were kind of. Oh, yeah. They would the, they used to keep that under, yeah. under wraps. There are lots of, like, funny kind of blooper-ish mistakes that that presidents have made though i mean i think the most famous is ford tripping on the stairs in air force one right like every camera is aimed at him but i i guess with cameras aimed at you constantly it's kind of surprising that doesn't happen more often yeah i would think they would yeah i also i I fell off a bike before oh really yeah is it bad no some, it was across the street from a school that was letting out though so all these little kids started laughing at me <laughs> at least you brought some joy to some people around you that day i think a really excellent part i just want to point out about leo and that whole moment where the um senior staff joins him in his office is that it's like the most epic walk and talk of him talking to like everybody while he's on his way to his office and then it sort of everyone's kind of congregating around him and information is just flowing to him and it really shows that he is running the show and meanwhile the president just got into a bicycle accident so i think it it puts some gravity right, it sets in leo his, up as the boss yeah leo is the boss and then the way it culminates in his office like that was very um art, like well done yeah. and then there's one other bit they talk about the cuban refugees coming in and they mention castro so Castro also mm. exists in this universe. Yeah. Another data point here. Yeah. And you also get a sense of like how many things, not just the president falling off his bike, but with the Cuban crisis and everything going on, there's so many things that have happened and it's probably what, like 9 a.m. in this show already? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's it the gives, beginning of the day. Yeah. It gives you such a good sense of how many things can happen um, in one day in the White House. And the most talked about thing is Josh Lyman insulting someone on the religious right and the president falling off his bike which is very similar to real life i think and how the media cycle flows and i think we can assume that it's a monday because josh was on the sunday talk shows the day before right Mm. and toby was maybe vacationing yeah he must have just (laughs) taken like a weekend trip or something vegas yeah why is toby on the plane alone like flying i i don't think you get any clues but i would really love to know they need a prequel episode just for that yes yes the next scene that we see is CJ at the press briefing. And um, the only note I have on this is that the reporter is like completely misconstruing his conversation with Sam saying like, oh, he totally lies. He says that Sam uh, said that this guy was, that he was going to get fired. Right. Right. He, he didn't. He completely ignored the question. He, he well, never he, said no, anything. He, he actually art, the way he says it is they have to fire him. I had drinks with Sam Seaborn last night to <laughs> imply that like those two were. He, the, the, that assertion was backed up by the other thing but it just huh. it was just like two related facts mm-hmm, some faulty logic right there so the next scene is josh and this is the uh him obsessing over his videotape uh scene and it's got some great like vhs scratchy noises <laughs> and uh here it goes any of your business look if 38 no, well states... i can tell you that you don't believe in any god that i pray to mr lyman not any god i pray to lady the god you pray to is too busy being indicted for tax fraud <laughs> I can tell you that you don't believe in any God that I pray to, Mr. Lyman. Not any God I pray to. Lady, the God you pray to is too busy being indicted for tax fraud. That's a- Fireable offense mm-hmm. in the Bartlett White House. Yeah. Another, I think this is also telling 
of the time again that we're in where that is a fireable offense that would never be fireable today, I don't think. And that he's watching it on a VHS tape instead of a YouTube clip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that's what he would be doing now, and it would just be that scene cut out. Yeah, they all have these funny little old TVs in their offices. It's oh, yeah, the VHS TV combo. Yes. I do like that they added in the little rewind sound, which normally a VHS would not make. They wouldn't? What? Mine never did. Mine made that. Really? Yeah. What's it from otherwise? Yeah. Cassettes? It's of like the audio oh, going backwards. I mean, when I hit rewind on a VHS, it just goes. When's the last? It time sounds like that? mechanical sounds. Yeah. And then you must have had a really fancy VHS. Yeah. Maybe. Damn son, humble brag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so then when, uh, we get a more uh, detailed introduction to John Donna here, and she brings Josh coffee. He's very suspicious about it. And then she drops this like masterful exposition thing where in like two sentences, she's like, here's every character. Here's how they're related. Here's how long I've worked for you. Here's our relationship. Donatella Moss, when did you start working for me? During the campaign. And how long have you been my assistant? A year and a half. And when's the last time you brought me a cup of coffee? It was never. You've never brought me a cup of coffee. Well, if you're going to make a big deal. Donna, if I get fired, I get fired. Do you think he's going to do it? No. You won that election for him. You and Leo and CJ and Sam. Open the damn door. And him. Mm-hmm. She also establishes her, herself as really not a very nice person. I mean, she's never given him coffee before. Why not? That's nice to do. She's more than that, Brayden. I'm just saying. She's like so, so much more than just the coffee bringer. So that happens. Then Toby comes by to give Josh a kind of scolding slash talking to. Like, what did I tell you? Don't say this stuff. Um, Josh gives him a really funny like sup when he comes in the room <laughs> that I just think is hilarious. <laughs> hey, we get our first mention of Capital Beat mm-hmm. uh, from Toby. He says, "What did I tell you about going on Capital Beat?" And then he uh, hints that there's uh, a person from their past that's back in town. It's this uh, lady, Mandy. Josh is really interested in it. Uh, he asks how she looks, so maybe there's like a history there. And then the next scene is uh, we meet Mandy, and we just have to listen to this. <laughs> I think that Mandy might be Bruce, singing this song. I may have just gotten back into the business really? this morning, but I didn't come by way of a turnip Similar truck. You know voice. what I'm saying? She's wearing a Kangol hat, mm-hmm. by the way. That's yeah. my favorite thing about her in and, this and scene. And she's not Sam Jackson. hip-hop beret. Not, she's okay. not Sam Jackson. Not okay. No. Originally, Sam Jackson was cast to play the Passed. role of Mandy. Mm-hmm. Hard pass. Yeah, there was no chemistry <laughs> I heard there between him and uh, She gets pulled over for a traffic stop and she like is the most like white privilegey person possible about it. She just basically puts a hand up to this cop. Uh, she doesn't even do that. She just ignores him. I yeah. think I don't know. She just like keeps on talking on the phone. She's just not responding to the police officer at all. Yeah, bad intro. Worse than Toby's intro here. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> she. I. Okay. So I find Mandy's like super annoying. <laughs> Based off of this scene alone? Yeah, based off of this scene. And I think in this whole episode, generally I find Mandy annoying, yeah. which we can go into as we explore later episodes, but I think she is... And then we'll never talk about it again. Yeah, I think she's... <laughs> Neither will they. Very irritating and Spoilers. like privilege and just rude and like hyper. Oh, what is... I would like to know if I just like have watched this show too much and that's why I don't like Mandy. Well, it- I think this is like we were talking about it a little earlier about how Sorkin like 
struggles with certain things about writing women. Mm-hmm. He'll either go in the CJ direction, and I think this is an attempt to go in the other direction. Like she's not self-deprecating; she's very confident. Like she doesn't really care what other people think. But it kind of is way more of a caricature than I guess maybe they intended to make it. Yeah. And it just and it, and it unintentionally I think makes her very unlikable. I don't know. She's a strong, independent woman. You know, if this is a man, you guys would all be singing her praises. Straight up sexism. I don't just think so. Maybe calling it out right here. I She's think... an aggressive, independent woman. Good at her job, well respected. I think it makes nine hundred thousand dollars a year. Right? We learn. Yeah, we learn that she wears she bad She sells hat. out, like basically after running. So she, the the history of Mandy, I guess, is that she worked in the Bartlett campaign, right, in the president's campaign earlier. Yeah. So uh, the, uh, a scene the two from now. So there's a quick scene with Sam and Josh oh. where they uh yeah. they do a. Uh, Josh figures out that Sam got laid the night before mm-hmm. and Sam assumes that Josh did and Josh does not correct him. I don't know. I didn't draw that same conclusion, but maybe I just missed that there. I, I, I... Well, they both know that they didn't go home the night before. Right. Mm-hmm. And Josh at least knows that Sam wasn't in the office because Josh was in the office. So, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not a, that was just a funny scene, I thought. I did think it, it was, was like a nice a, moment. Indi- they just adorable. Give them, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just look at each other. They, they bond share, pretty share quickly. Nice yeah. yeah. Then we have Josh and Mandy at lunch. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but in the first shot, there's literally a hurricane happening outside of this <laughs> building. No. It's wind knocking over. There's people like <laughs> bracing against it. It's kind of nuts. You- um, it's only in the one shot, though. I don't. The back lot must have had problems going on that day. <laughs> Like they were shooting, um, like what's that movie Tur- about the tornadoes? Uh, Sharknado. <laughs> oh, I meant an older like, that movie. That wasn't the one. <laughs> no, that like nineties movie. About oh, tornadoes. Sharknado too. Oh, oh, yeah. uh, Twister. Twister. Um, Josh has a funny line in that scene where he says, "I find it unusual that you would call the senator by his first name to a third party." Mm. <laughs> Which is just the phrasing of it makes me laugh. Um, I always refer to myself as a third party. Yeah. yeah. What we find out is Josh and Mandy had a history together from some college students that recognized Josh. Groupies, political Gr- groupies. Political groupies. They're yeah. all over Washington. Mm-hmm. And oh, but they're from FSU, Florida State. Woo woo. Yeah. And Josh uh, pretty quickly pieces together that uh, Mandy and her new boss, Lloyd Russell, are an item. Uh, Mandy denies it for like two seconds and then admits it. And then Josh goes pretty like uh, homophobic on him like right away. He's like, I think he's a woman. <laughs> classic, so classic response. Not just that, but but they immediately undermine the like strength of their new female character by pointing out that she's sleeping her way into her position, mm-hmm. and rather than handle it in a like go you know beyond it and be like, well, yeah, like I'm doing it as a means to an end and be and totally own it, she like sheepishly tries to deny it and then doesn't really remark on it. I don't know, but we're, we, earlier we were praising the male character for his betting this woman on the first night. I wasn't night. praising. This is, I more, was this actually, is more sexism I w- right I was, here. Uh, no, I, I don't think that him bagging the Lori on the, the Lori, Lori on the first night was like a positive thing. Earlier we were saying what a study was is a double no, standard. No, no, no. We're talking about how attractive Rob Lowe is. That's a completely but different I issue. Think, I think the more appropriate analogy would be if Sam was boning Leo. How would you guys feel about that? That's a, that's a fanfic, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go write it right now. Do you think we could find this like illustrated online somewhere? And and also in the scene, we get the first occurrence of what it is will be a trope of the West Wing that 
there's a poll coming out and it's going to be trouble. Mm-hmm. Storms a brewing. There's a oh, poll. Oh, no. Then the next scene is in Leo's office. He's uh, really worried about this crossword puzzle still. Um, he says he's known the president for 40 years. So we get a little bit of backstory. And then we get um, a reference of a character that will come up later uh, named Hutchinson, uh, who leaked something about a defense program. Is he on the phone for the second time with the New York Times? Like hours apart? He's calling no, him he, again. He is he, harassing he was, this newspaper offer. He was, he was, the first time he told it to whoever was in his house, the stranger that was in his <laughs> house. It's like a housekeeper. Yeah, a housekeeper. Yeah. Uh, then he was telling his assistant okay. to call the paper. And then I guess she didn't do it. So he took it up himself and he was on the phone. Um, First of all, cut, people, CJ walks in and is like, "Get in touch with Will Shorts. Yeah. Don't call the New York Times. Yeah, yeah. I like leave them alone." That CJ is like worried and disappointed, and it's also funny because Leo is. They're like, "Who is this?" And he's like, "I'm just an anonymous concerned citizen about your crossword puzzle." And I called an airstrike on his Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we meet uh, Larry and Ed uh, for the first time, talking to Josh. Um, I swear that they have this thing running gag in this show that, that you don't know who Larry and who Ed is. I've seen, I've watched a thousand hours of this TV show. I do not know which one is Larry and which one's Ed. <laughs> I don't recall these characters at all. No, it's like the most either. inconsequential scene in the whole episode. It's like, it's two guys talking to Josh for like 30 seconds. Wait, was one of them? Or maybe they're talking to Sam. Was I don't one remember. of them the guy on the treadmill next to CJ in the beginning no, of the show? No, that was just a a dude no but he's in the show a lot that guy is he yeah he's like there's like two guys who are like helpers kind of and they're they're always helping out with josh and sam yeah that's larry and ed okay. i don't think that because cj would know larry or ed whichever one it was i had a twitter interaction with larry and or ed at one point really <laughs> you gotta find out which one. Oh right they so it's talking to sam about some gun rights legislation and uh, so these two guys end up being recurring characters. So it's their first introduction. So they should they should get a little moment. Totally forgettable. I watched this episode twice today. I do not remember either of them. <laughs> They'll become more memorable as the series progresses. But not too memorable, importantly. Yeah, just memorable enough. Then we find out that uh, Sam and Lori, the beeper swapperoo thing that we were worried about earlier, it happened. What? Foreshadowing. Uh, and we also find out that Lori works for an escort service, seemingly, because her number responds to that. So Sam is a little flustered, and he's gonna go. Uh, he's gonna go meet Lori. He has momentary panic, and then I guess has to go see her, right? And finds out that she is indeed an, a high class escort. And uh, there's one really, really throwaway scene with CJ, like f- fending off questions to the press. But um, the that reporter guy from earlier in the episode has my second favorite line from this episode. Holding four column inches above the fold. You're gonna be wrong. He says, "I'm holding four column inches above the fold in like a low voice." That's like that's sexual harassment. <laughs> second above the fold reference. In, in this episode. So above the fold refers to the top of a newspaper when it's folded in half and four column inches. He's, he's, got, the, he's got a big story on the, on the top half of the newspaper, so the, the part that people will see when it's on the stands. But, so my question here is, would a reporter in the field know where he was going to be put? Probably not. It depends on the story. Do you think he got the wood? That's what, <laughs> that's what he's talking about. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's doing that, a little bragging. 
Yes, he's saying he's got a he's got a big story. Uh, you know, he probably wouldn't know where it's going to go unless it's that big of a story. But um, it's not because he doesn't know anything because he lied and he wasn't told anything. Next scene is Leo and Al Caldwell, who gets mentioned earlier when uh, Leo and Josh are talking. And so this is Al Caldwell. He's the religious right guy. Leo has a, another sexist comment where he says, uh, this is just a case of a petulant woman getting angry. Mm. And, uh, but uh, we learn that uh, the president's a religious guy. So we talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, Leo also says something. He says, it's six to five in Pick'em. And I don't think I understand betting or sports enough to know that. No. Does anybody understand that reference? No idea. I got that. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, smart guy. Uh, Sam and Lori meet up, swap their beepers. Sam does uh, pro- proclaim his likeness for her. Uh, I don't know, nothing really happens. Yeah. That's a good scene, though. You're like, Sam's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he does like want to stay like friends he, with her. He likes her, but he, he, he's, it's a, this is a bad bad situation for him mm-hmm. right because people pay people pay big money to do something which to, yeah. dig up, to dig up dirt presumably on people that work for the president even though technically he's paid by taxpayers not the dnc right so we learned that in the next scene when uh leo's daughter's uh kindergarten class so sam is assuming that leo who's at least 60 right mm-hmm. has a kindergarten age daughter and that they're visiting the white house we meet the teacher of the class whose name is Mallory O'Brien hmm. which I don't think we ever learned that she was ever married so I think maybe she's using a fake name as a teacher oh maybe because of her connection to the White House just trying Could to stay be. neutral there wait was it a fourth grade class I think it's fourth. yeah something like that yeah but still 60 is very is not judging like you do what you want probably but it's not as, to have a fourth as uncommon as you'd imagine in DC though that's true Oh, almost. I probably the average number of marriages people have is like like two point seven or something. They know Leah. Well, I'm sh- I'm assuming that they know Leah well, well enough to know. Although they, they do actually, they so do have like met his daughter probably. Yeah. Well, they they established that Sam hit on his wife. Right. So Sam I guess, hit yeah. on Leo's wife. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, his ginger says that to him. Oh. It's like, oh, it's, Leo probably wasn't too happy when you were hitting on his wife at the Christmas party last year. Huh. I think that they, there's a bunch of comments that try to make Sam come off as like this playboy because he's like the cute one on the show. Right. But he doesn't, he's so like boyish and sweet. He never comes off that way when he's actually like interacting with anybody. He's just kind of bumbling and. Yeah, he's very like unsexy for someone who. No, has I wouldn't been call him unsexy everyone. because I think he's definitely sexy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he's but very uns, he's not suave. I mean, you like know? just personality wise. Without Rob Lowe being Rob Lowe physically, I feel like he doesn't really like exert his masculinity on people in a way that would match up with the conquests he had. Right, he's had. not like an alpha or anything. Yeah, yeah. Who's the alpha so far? Who's the alpha? I would say Josh has a really alpha persona. Like, but then Donna just runs roughshod over him. I feel like Toby is the person who takes the least shit from people. Leo too. Leo too. Oh, it's, yeah. they're all alphas. They're I all think... <laughs> alpha house, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's what that they should have called the show. Alpha house. <laughs> I think that they are all different kinds of alphas, though. Like Josh is kind of like young and cocky about everything, and Toby is more of a reserved, like sort of quiet um, presence that is will like pounce when he has to, and then Leo is just like 
doesn't take any shit from anyone. Oh, speaking of who's uh, just sort of like the level of of bravado, um, I love the scene. I think we already got past this part where Donna manipulates Josh into changing his shirt by oh, saying yeah. like the women love you in the shirt. No, we're not there yet. It's it's right before they go to the meeting. Later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll get. I, I, right, spoilers. I did not have a note for that one though, so we would have skipped it. <laughs> no, uh, I wanted to uh, quickly play uh, Sam's. Uh, Sam is supposed to give a history of the White House to these kids, and Sam has uh, no knowledge of the history of the White House, so this is what he tells them. The White House, as you know, was built several years ago, mostly, if I'm not mistaken, out of cement. The room we're in uh, right now, the Roosevelt Room, is very famous. It is named after our All true. 18th president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The chairs that you are sitting on today are fashioned from the lumber of a pirate ship captured during the Spanish-American. All right, kids, I need to speak with Miss. Okay, that's just a great scene. Uh, she goes outside, and Sam learns that, uh-oh, this is actually Leo's daughter, the teacher, not in the class. And this is after Sam, like, dumps every single personal bit of info in his life. He mentions the poll first. That's the first thing that he, he, like, found out he slept with a prostitute. He's having, like, a bad day on a number of different fronts, but the poll is the top thing in his mind. Okay, she rips him outside here in this scene uh, for not knowing anything about the White House, uh, despite being the White House communications director. But of course, while a good line, the White House communications director is not supposed to know anything about the White House. It's just the job title for the press secretary or speechwriter. That has nothing to do with knowing about the history of the White House. She should know that. She should know that. She's a fourth grade teacher. I think she's flirting a little bit, actually. Yeah. She may or may not be married. May, yeah. <laughs> but that's also, there's also some really good exposition in this scene, too, where Sam does not know what in the world to tell these fourth graders before he goes into his, like, bullshitting about the White House history. Yeah, he talks about his time at Gage Whitney. Yeah, and we learn exactly what his position is, what yeah. his history is, what brought him dump. here. Yeah, it's great. And so the next scene is uh, the big meeting with everybody it's uh the one that we set up earlier oh we didn't even talk about that so uh they they established that they're going to do a meeting with the al caldwell the woman that josh interrupted on the tv show uh and other representatives to like kind of horse trade a little and give them something in in apology like some kind of public morals address or something like that so this meeting happens um first shot is like down and you can kind of see the oval office like looming in the background while they're having this meeting it takes place in the mural room and it's just like in the middle of everybody kind of like hovering over the scene is that like the president is like almost here so that's a question i have why are there so many people in the room when they have i thought this was sort of a private meeting to come to some agreement about what they would do publicly about what josh did and then there are a million people in this room and cj craig is also there so i'm assuming maybe it's press but i don't know why they would have press in a meeting like this uh, i think these are other uh religious right figures he addresses a referend at one point oh there's so many he's wearing a collar it's not 100 percent clear but i you get the sense that these are other figures from the religious right right i think they're all kind of representatives of this group and they're all there to like get their face time and say that they had a meeting at the white house Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of everybody brings out their whole phalanx of people right mary oversteps her bounds and she says that josh couldn't help but show his new york sense of humor which toby 
jumps on pretty quickly as being an anti-Semitic thing. This is right after uh, Mary Marsh gets shot down and this other guy tries to kind of pick up the slack of the meeting. I'd like to discuss why we hear so much talk about the First Amendment coming out of this building, but no talk at all about the First Commandment. I don't like what I've just been accused of. Well, I'm afraid that's just tough, Mrs. Marsh. The First Commandment says, honor thy father. No, it doesn't. Toby, it doesn't. Listen to no, I, if I'm going to make you sit through this preposterous exercise, we're going to get the names of the damn commandments right. Okay, here we go. He gets really mad. It's a little bit of a leap. Honor thy father. Is the third commandment. Then what's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. Now shalt worship no other God before me. It's <laughs> a pretty great entrance for a character. Um, my big question here is That was the president. How long was the president hanging outside this room waiting for a moment to like step in and say something? That's his standard opening line. He didn't <laughs> every... even he didn't even hear what was going on. It was just convenient. This scene here is the essence, uh, from what I understand, of this show. This right here. Um, it's got it all. This is the progressive politics porn. You get a chance to see the Democratic president of the United States rip into a figure from the religious right, totally trash him, kick him out of the office. You can all get your fat asses out of my White House. Everyone celebrates. It's so good and he's kind of mad at the religious right because it, his 12 year old granddaughter got a threatening male with like a doll with a knife through its neck um and he was so mad that he went for a bike ride and he hurt himself and we bring all the plot lines together mm-hmm. a and b and but we still have the the pole and the cuban refugees dangling but all right yeah. the pole the pole i think we're gonna have to wait on for a while but we do we do get a little closure on the cuban refugees and it's pretty pretty sad mm-hmm. but um i do have i do have one they theory. died yeah they died <laughs> spoilers man spoilers for 30 seconds forward in the episode i yeah. do have um one theory about this scene what was josh doing last night what mailing a doll with a knife through its neck to Jed's granddaughter to get himself <laughs> off of the hook for insulting. Wow. Brilliant. That that I, is some I desperately wish that Josh was that ruthlessly political in the in the rest of the series. <laughs> we don't know what he else he did. That's some like multi-layered chess there. Yeah. So uh, then we, uh, we have the staff meeting where everybody closes it up. Um, we learn that 350 people died on the rafts, which is a pretty, uh, pretty big, pretty big de- death count for first episode of a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have a big, big, big music swell, like orchestra, which is pretty amazing for a TV show. Like shows don't have like full orchestration anymore. Yeah. Like oh. they have like a dude like Newland on a guitar now. That's something that um, I noticed throughout this whole episode that was really excellent was the music, um, especially when they were running around the West Wing and there was lots of walking and talking going on. There was a sort of very um, fluttery version of the theme song throughout the whole thing, which really made it feel like Christmas in the West Wing to me. For me, I had a different reaction. The, the theme song's great, but it keeps on putting the Jurassic Park theme in my head. I it's <laughs> very similar. Okay, so... I kind of see it as a little John Philip Sousa-ish. <laughs> it's very like marching band. There's a lot of snare. Yeah. I but, like it. But no, but especially I think on rewatching the show after that theme 
becomes totally ingrained in your head. There's something so comforting about hearing like the long, like totally drawn out and riffed on version of it mm-hmm. that plays throughout the first 10 minutes. It just fills you, I th- and this might be completely biased because of the history I have with the sh- watching the show, but it just is like you feel so warm and fuzzy the whole time. Well, that's this whole show to me is like, it's yeah. my like comfort food show. Yes. If I'm like feeling a little down, I'll just watch like three random episodes of The West Wing. For sure. This is the most comforting show and it's so charming like and i think that is also a good thing to point out is um martin sheen as president bartlett is like the most endearing charming character probably on this show i think and they saved him for the last like three minutes of the show they didn't use him at all when they could have really got you hooked right so it's kind of part of the lore of the show that the president wasn't really supposed to be a big part of the show originally it was he was only oh, supposed right. to kind of like swoop in like this every couple episodes. Mm-hmm. And then they cast Martin Sheen. And they were like, this guy's great. Let's yeah. just use him all the time. Yeah. I just want more Martin Sheen. It's so good. But you fall in love with the rest of the cast. I think it's sort of good the way that it happened because the rest of the cast becomes so endearing and there's so many sweet moments and moments that make you feel proud. And then they drop the president on you and it's like yes and i watched this with brayden today for his first time watching this and you could feel our excitement in the room when he walked in and it was just like bam yeah i jumped up shouted yeah really we literally shouted america (laughs) it was great and that's amazing because when else can you shout america like non-ironically this is amazing fantasy show where you know democracy works and like politicians have integrity it's such so wonderful and and there was still like a really strong value on bipartisanship at least in the political media and there was always like oh we we just passed a bipartisan effort and the the, at least the illusion of legitimate cooperation in the federal government was very alive and well when the show was created so there i think there that's kind of the ideal of, of of president bartlett at least in the beginning where he's like a great compromiser and he finds reasonableness on both sides. But I also think something about um, President Bartlett that's so idealistic, which like you wish could exist in real life, is he is like a very religious man, which you find out in the show. He's super Christian and he is so progressive too at the same time. And it really, it really is a fantasy and it, you like wish Martin Sheen was president. I, I, I didn't get the sense from the first episode that he was that religious now maybe i'm lacking because you guys have all seen the well there's the scene with al caldwell but that could just be like kind of covering all presidents all presidents make a play at being religious right well i think uh, leo straight up says to al caldwell this president is a deeply religious man or something well and he comes in and quotes like the the most obvious part of the bible but like he does like do some bible quoting on his first line in the show They, they set it up yeah well but i think the interesting duality there is he if he truly is religious and he knows that quote verbatim he also is irreverent about it in a harmless way and i think it contrasts the yeah it contrasts the way that the religious leaders in the meeting are taking things way too seriously with a person who is personally religious but doesn't Mm -hmm. sort of make that their career yeah and you find kind of i think future episodes will get into it more where he um shows that even more where he calls out people who are um, on the religious right and believe in um, either pro-life and anti-gay um, everything. <laughs> and he really stands up against them in a great way because he thinks that you shouldn't impose your religion on other people, which is great. 
So then we get the final shot, um, which is a thing that the West Wing does, is they take a still frame, and it's uh, the president in front of his desk, and they play the credit song, um, and it's a song I could probably listen to 154 times mm-hmm. without ever getting tired of it. Mm-hmm. I Maybe exactly that many times. <laughs> I also love the Jurassic Park theme. <laughs> so what's funny about that, though, is I often fall asleep while I'm watching this show, and the piccolos 50% of the time wake me up. I think that the, the that song like kind of lulls me to sleep. It's like when I'm sort of falling asleep, that's when I know, okay, now it's over. I can go to sleep. It's like getting tucked in. Yeah, it really is. This show, like that's why I watch it every night pretty much before going to sleep is it just makes me at peace with the world. I want to do a, uh, a segment now uh, that's like headlines from the West Wing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we'll take it whatever is externally newsworthy that happened in the episode and we already covered this earlier i think there's two events mm-hmm. president goes into tree mm-hmm. and uh josh having a big blow up on the the capitol beat show it's a cypress tree he crashes so uh, into, let's let's helpful. do the tree what what's what's the headline I'll just just say i'm out as you I'm got i'm just him. gonna i'm gonna break the ice with president okay nice very strong i like it you don't you don't dent trees, but it's good. <laughs> you show maybe the bike, d- you show his helmet, you know. Maybe he dented the bike, yeah. I take it back. That's that's good. That's yeah. good. Thanks, man. <laughs> My headlines are executive branch. Ooh. Solid. And I don't know if you should put like a slash in between it or like an emoji arrow maybe. Um <laughs> And the other one I have is like assuming. I wish we had more emojis at work. <laughs> Can you not put an emoji in a headline? No, we don't have we don't have those. Why yet. don't you use them in headlines? They're not in our font system. I'm sure we'll we'll get them someday. We'll get them someday. But by the time everyone's on to something else, the other one I have is assuming that the president is portrayed as like a left wing ideologue in the papers, and the headline is "Hard Left Into Tree." <laughs> I like that. Oh, and this is something I I wanted to talk about. Yeah, because a lot. It depends on wh- what newspaper we're writing these heads for. I kind of think about the post. Whenever I'm thinking about these, even though I haven't come up with one yet, and I think it would be like not really in favor of this president because he's too liberal. You don't know that. It's usually easier though, right? To be like a little negative because you're more you're you're yeah. knocking him down a peg. Yeah. Commander in leaf. <laughs> okay, I think that that's pretty, <laughs> pretty good. All right, we'll take it. <laughs> What's your final thoughts on the episode? So we have a rating scale. The rating scale is this the best wing, the worst wing, or the best wing. Yeah. This is my favorite of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say like strong start, best wing. Because I, I mean, other people have different opinions about this, but I usually don't like pilot episodes of shows. I have to watch a couple episodes to get hooked. And this hooked me immediately when I watched it for the first time several years ago. And every time I watch this one again, it reignites my passion for the show. And I'm like, well, I guess I should just keep watching the whole thing all over again. Might as well watch another. It, yeah. it took me a lot of effort not to pre-watch episode two Same. after watching this. <laughs> Same. Yeah. It's really hard not to just want more. And, and I watched this twice in preparation for this and didn't get tired of it either time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this one holds up. There's some great lines. Uh yeah, it's all it's all good all around. Good character introductions. I definitely think Best Wing, and I think it's amazing that after you watch the show uh, many times over, you can go back to this, and the characters don't really seem like that off in that way that a lot of shows are in their first episode. 
they all kind of seem so themselves that it's not jarring at all. Right. You don't learn in episode two after they did like a test screening that like Sam has a tattoo. Well, not just the scripting, but the the acting, the way they've characterized their characters from the very first episode pretty much stays with them for the rest of the show. All right. uh, Does anybody have any uh, closing thoughts they want to say? I did notice that in the clip with Mary Marsh and Josh, the thing that prompts his anger is she accuses him of not praying to any of the gods she knows, which I think feeds into Toby's uh, getting incensed by her implication that they're New York Jews. Because she's essentially trying to embarrass him on television by implying that he's either an atheist or a Jew, but he's certainly not a Christian. And I think nowadays, the thing, the sin of what his reaction was, was in not handling that in like a way that redirects the accusation and he's not truly Christian, that the Bartlett administration is not truly Christian. He should have been prepared for that and like judoed it back. Mandy, I know I'm like obsessed with not liking Mandy, but I was thinking about how like how she is rude to like someone versus Toby being rude to a person. And I think that if Mandy wasn't like loud and yelling and did it in the very like quiet angry way that toby does it would be um more i would like her more i would like that more hey elise did you read that article yet that i linked oh my you God. about casual you're like sexism? on a feminist kick and like i'm just saying women <laughs> do it too and you don't realize it it for women you can't be but shrill, I don't have you a can't be aggressive with, you, 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 i don't have a problem with like cj craig in the first like um briefing in the press room like shutting down a reporter and being like let's just get through this not just that but donna just steamrolls leo yeah. And before you even know who Donna is, I think if you really didn't know anything about the show, you would at first think Donna is like on equal footing to. She's the president. Yeah. She, exactly. That she's the president. She basically is, you'll find in this show. <laughs> so, and I don't think that really rubs anyone the wrong. I think Donna's like incredibly yeah. likable pretty much at all times. Right. But um, the other thing she's is. She's from like, Wisconsin. Yeah. I think there's a lot of <laughs> other things. Um, about Mandy's behavior to dislike other than the fact that she is a woman. Like, well, even like, if she were a guy, I would think that she was rich, entitled, and rude. I think it's enough to say that she was wearing the kangle. You don't have to talk about her yeah, shrill voice. Yeah, that is enough reason to really have a negative first impression of someone. And, and she's like speeding around the Capitol. Yeah. As opposed to Toby, who's not really legitimately... Well, his argument is, I'm not... He's putting, on an airplane. He's going very anyone. fast. I'm not, I'm not doing anything unsafe. That's just a myth. Yeah. She yeah. doesn't really have like a defense for yeah. her behavior. She could have hurt someone in that car. Yeah, she definitely could have. Yeah. And she ran a red light. Bad Mandy. Okay. McCollin, anybody got anything else? Any other notes? Oh. I went through all mine. I think we're good. Did we like... Have, is there like an an archetype you can think of for this episode? I know it's the first one, but it's... No, well, let's, get, let's save that for when we uh, yeah. see the repeats. Yeah. Okay. We don't need to speculate in the future. Yeah. 